0: the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 4. I had prayed and planned on preaching on Peter this morning, but to say that my heart has been gripped by this thought of the majesty of the throne of God is an understatement. We started looking at Revelation chapter 4 on Wednesday night and covered the first three verses. This morning we'll cover the next three. Starting in verse 1 here, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sard and stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold and on and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like unto like a lion and the second beast like a calf and the third beast had as a face as a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night saying, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him, that liveth forever and ever, and cast down their thrones to be cast down their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord. To receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. This was the majesty of the throne that had so overwhelmed these men. I want to try to do something different. Brother Tim, will you help me? Can we sing verse 11? Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy o. to receive glory, glory and honor, glory and honor and power. For thou hast created. imagine that all around the throne of god let's pray our gracious heavenly father lord we thank you for this opportunity to be in your word lord the majesty the mystery the power the the strength the Full reigning power that rests upon the throne, Lord. It is beyond my understanding. I do not have the words to articulate the amazement that I have of the throne of God. Lord, I pray that this morning you'll help us to grasp an understanding of what we're reading in the next few verses, that we may understand what is yet for us one day to see that what will one day cause us to be struck with so much wonder that we will cry out in the same way that we just sang. Oh, Lord, may we not be so short-sighted this morning that we think for one moment that the thoughts of the throne of God that we must see it with physical eyes to feel the same way, to be overwhelmed with the same emotions, to be overwhelmed with the same passions, to when we think about this throne, Lord, that we just don't fall down and worship you. Oh, Lord, grip our hearts this morning. Grip our hearts with understanding about the one who sits on the throne. Lord, give us understanding this morning in your word. Give me the words to speak. Hide me behind the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. As we looked at the throne of God starting on Wednesday night, everything that pours out in chapter 4 is about the throne of God and the proximity to things, events, and peoples within proximity of the throne of God. God. We just came out of, as we said on Wednesday night, looking at the seven churches, and after we come to the close of the seven churches, John arrives in in heaven, and the first thing he sees in heaven is the the throne of God. Then a time of chaos in the land, in a time of persecution in the land, in a time where John had already been exiled to the island of Patmos. After writing these seven letters to churches who had fallen away, churches who had left their first love, churches who were struggling, kingdoms had been overthrown, kings had been assassinated. And when John arrives into heaven, he sees God still sitting on the throne. What a thought today. What a thought for this entire chapter that God is not affected by the troubles in our land. Here John arrives into heaven and he takes the pen to the pad to relay a message to those who are facing struggles struggles, and that is, God is still in control. That God is still on the throne. Now I do not know if we have seen this yet if our minds have really grasped What is exactly going on here in chapter four? But John has arrived into heaven, not only to see the throne of God, he sees the throne of God. He arrives in heaven and he sees these beasts and he sees these four and 24 elders or these 24 elders and he sees them. But John has arrived into heaven to be one of the first people to put down record for us what a heavenly worship service looks like before the throne of God. They are worshiping God. They are crying out before God. They are crying out, speaking of His worthiness. We come here into chapter of uh, chapter four and verse four, and we're going to be looking at these twenty-four seats, these 24 thrones. But when John arrived here in this divine worship service in heaven, it was all that was around the throne of God. Now, we say to ourselves that, that the throne of God was in the center of the temple or that it was the center focus of chapter 4. But when we get to chapter 5, we realize the throne of God is really the center of it all. I'm not talking about heaven. I'm not talking about this earth, I'm talking about the throne of God is the center of it all. It is the focus of it all. This thrones that we see, this God that set upon the throne, that this light that shines forth, this light that shines forth from the throne of God like a diamond that a rainbow upon the floor. This is the mystery of it all. I, I don't even understand it, but to say this is how he has chosen to explain himself. So it is a great definition. We've seen the mystery in the first three verses. Now we see the majesty of the throne. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. These are the ones singing, O Lord, thou art worthy. Verse 4 gives us this proximity that they have to the throne. And around the throne were these 24 seats. This word seat is, in the Greek, the word thronos. is a word that kind of gives us the idea of power. It is to say that authority has been delegated to those who are sitting upon these 24 seats. They are not ruling over God. They are thrones that are ruling with God, for God, on God's behalf. These other thrones are not like God's throne. The light shining forth, that was from God's throne. The jasper, that was from God's throne. The sardis, that was from God's throne. The light that is attributed is from God's throne only. And that's part, and that part of the amazement anyway by the time you get to the end of this book, we get to Revelations chapter 21, we see that this light that shined forth from the throne of God isn't just to light the temple. And the Bible says when you get to Revelations chapter 21 that the city had no need for the sun, neither for the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light. This is blinding light. But listen, this these seats around these around the throne of God these 24 thrones they are not just one time mentioned here in the book of revelation uniquely enough these 24 thrones are mentioned 24 times throughout the entire book of revelation and there are 24 elders that sit upon these seats i can't take time there's not enough time to really dive into all of the people's opinions about Who are these 24 people who sit upon the seats? I will just quickly say the ones who I can firmly say that they are absolutely not. Many people like to say that sitting upon these 24 seats are angels. They say that these are the angels of the New Testament, but we got to remember something, what the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits? Sit forth to minister for whom they shall be heirs of salvation. Meaning this, that angels are what? Ministering. They are designed to minister, minister to the heirs of salvation. Nowhere in the word of God do you find where angels are given rule over man. Nowhere in the word of God do you see angels assuming a position of authority. Matter of fact, when Paul gets the Corinthians of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 3, he says, shall we not all judge angels? meaning that we will be placed in a position over them. We will be placed in a position of authority over them. But understand these, these thrones, these seats are representatives of the power of authority. Revelations chapter seven and verse 11, while speaking of the imagery of the throne of God, seven chapter seven and verse 11 says, and all the angels stood round about the throne and About the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God. You see, in this verse, chapter 7 and verse 11, there is a separation between the elders and the angels. If they were of the same, they would not be therefore separated. This word elders is the same word elders that we use in the New Testament when we talk about pastors of the church, they were elders of this local church. Some go on to say, and maybe this is true and maybe this is not, but some go on to say that it is 12 of the old people, uh, 12 of the original leaders of the tribe of Israel, and then 12 of the apostles. I personally don't see that. My personal stance is that these are 24 people of the local New Testament church. Some go on to say that it is these Old Testament saints. Know this. 24 in the word of God. I'm just going to give you how I arrive at this and we can do studies later. But 24 in the word of God is like a number of completion. It's a sign of completion. When reading the Old Testament, there were 24 patriarchs mentioned in the messianic lineage of Christ from Adam to Perez. And there were 24 elders appointed by David to represent the Levitical priesthood. You can read about that in 1 Chronicles 24. There were 24 elders appointed by David, and they were to represent the 24 courses of the priests. In 1 Chronicles 25, there were 24 division of singers in the temple, 24 enlisted patriarchs, 24 elders representing the priesthood, 24 singers representing the division of the musicians of the temple. 24 is a very interesting number when you begin to realize it is a group of people that represents a group of people. Meaning that there was more than 24 singers in the temple, but there was 24 people appointed to represent them. There were more than 24 priests, but there were 24 priests selected to represent the group of people. So in the messianic genealogy, 24, musicians, 24, we can conclude that the number 24 is unique, in that they do represent this larger group. Some say in this text that this 24 people were, well, they say it represents Israel. There's a problem here with saying that. Some say it's Old Testament saints. 12 representatives of from the tribe of Israel, uh, which would be 12 representatives of the Old Covenant and 12 representatives of the New Covenant. Now, recognize this, that If you were to say such a thing, and it's fine, but if you were to say such a thing, then you're saying that the 12 Old Testament people selected from the 12 tribes have been given a position of authority. Yet, when we move on, we'll see that the Lord tells the disciples in John chapter 8 that they will rule over and give judgment over the Old Testament tribes. So then it kind of causes confusion why we would divide in half if 24 always represents a selected group. Why would we divide it in half and 12 would represent the old group and 12 would represent the new group? I'm sorry if this is too much. It's the way my mind works. So these 24, I believe, to be New Testament saints. And the reason I think this is so important to hammer out and do your own studies is because it's mentioned 24 more times. So understanding who these people are help you to decipher the Word of God. So these people, some say, well, it's a part of the 144,000. Well, there are some who don't like to take the revelation, the book of Revelation chronologically. And I, I take it chronologically. I believe we left Revelation chapter 3, that was the age of grace, that was the age of the churches, I think now we're in a different age, and we're in an age of understanding, where tribulations are getting ready to pour out, and John was caught up in this moment before the throne of God. Why is that so important? Because when if the rapture has already happened, if the rapture's already happened, and they're caught up out of heaven, and they're now in heaven when John arrives there, if that's the connection, like they said in the Church of Philadelphia, that that they will not see the hour of temptation, the hour of judgment that is going to touch the entire earth. If they're not going to see this, then they're already gone because it's getting ready to happen. If that then is the case, then it goes here. Then if you was to say that these 24 people were to represent a group, then it couldn't be the 144,000 yet because they're not yet redeemed. And it can't be the children of Israel because then they're not yet redeemed. They, they have not yet repented from whose side they've pierced. So this is a group of people who have already been made right, who've already reached the glorified state, who have already received their crown, who have already been clothed in white. Does that sound familiar to us as we work through the seven churches? It sounds very, very familiar to me. So we see here in this with the 12 apostles in Matthew chapter 19, and verse 28. And Jesus said unto them, Verily, I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye, shall, ye also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That is what the Lord told unto the disciples. And this is the time in which the Lord would be speaking of here, which we're reading about in Revelation chapter 4. And we're, we're, notice also what it says here clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Remember what we just covered in the previous chapter. He that overcometh, chapter 3 and verse 5, he that overcometh shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. In chapter 3, in verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. The conclusion... (laughs) These 24 were redeemed saints that's we know for sure. They were clothed in the righteousness of God. That we know for sure. Righteousness was imputed upon them as an act of justification. They were clothed in right, not because what they have done. They were clothed in right because of what Christ had done. And now they, they, they were overcomers. We know that they were overcomers because now they have this crown upon their head. They were now triumphant in Christ. They were victors in Christ. There is no need for sad faces here at this point in heaven around the throne of god there's no weeping there's no crying there's only rejoicing there's no more fatigue from the battle but endless joy as they magnify jesus christ that we can say for sure argue about who you believe the 24 is later but that is for certain they were shouting praise unto the unto god unto jesus remember what the lord said unto the churches in revelation Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to Unto all of them that love his appearing again in 5 4 and when the chief shepherd shall appear first Peter 5 4 hear this wording and when the chief shepherd shall appear ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away these were redeemed saints they were saints that when the chief shepherd had appeared I believe this to be the rapture but Listen to this. Feel the all-struck wonder of the presence of God. Kind of take that away from your mind for a minute, this verse, this debate back and forth of who these 24 are. Put it aside. Focus in here on this amazing verse. And out of the throne in verse 5. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. What is the point here? Out of this throne proceeded lightning and thunderings. We have entered into judgment mode. God is in judgment mode. We'll see this again in Revelations chapter 8 and verse 5, and again in Revelations chapter 16 and verse 8. God is in judgment mode. Thunderings and lightnings are now coming from the throne of God. My kids at home, we have a swimming pool, and we tell them all the time that if it begins to lightning or thunder, get out of the pool. But you know what? I don't have to even vocalize it. When lightning happens or when thundering happens, Levi is out of the pool before I look out the window and say, Levi, you need to get out of the pool. He's standing in the kitchen, trembling in fear. Lightnings and thunderings are coming forth from the throne of God. In Exodus chapter nineteen and verse eighteen, when God had settled down upon uh, the mountain on top of Mount Sinai to meet with Moses, and God had settled down upon there, and they said there was great thunderings. When we get to Hebrews chapter twelve and verse twenty, there was a record of this event in which uh, Moses said, "And so was the ter- and so terrible was the sight that Moses said." I exceedingly fear and quake. It was a trembling thing to be surrounded by the thunderings of God. It was a trembling thing to be surrounded around the lightnings of God. It was a frightening thing to be in the presence of God. And even in Hebrews it goes on to tell us it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. This moment that's happening here, it should be mindful of us our understanding of this should impact how we live today. Meaning that if we really believe when we come here to the house of God, that we are entering into God's presence, that we are beckoning the throne of God, that we are asking the Lord to pour down his spirit upon us, our understanding of that we are entering into the presence of God should strike awe and fear and trembling in us. Because this is where we are asking the Lord to to be with us, to dwell with us, to, to be in our presence. I wonder how people feel. One man said that if he spent 10 minutes with the church in their worship hour, he could completely tell you how the church feels about worshiping God. He can completely explain how people view God. I wonder at times how visitors wander into the church and when they look around and see us sing, I wonder, or they look around and see us as we're listening to the word of God. I wonder if they say, wow, these people have a serious, all struck." Fear of God. These people are amazed that when they arrive in the house of God, that I can tell in the way they behave themselves, in the way they sing, in the way they worship, they really feel like they're in the presence of God. Moses said, it was a fearful thing, and I did quake greatly. Because he understood what it meant to be in the presence of the king. Where worship is man-centered, worship will die. We treat serving God and worshiping God like we do anything else when we get stuck going with our wives into the dreadful perfume store. soon as you walk through the door, you hear the music playing and the lights are so bright, shining lights upon all the different things we can purchase and it drives us crazy and we want to run from it. That is not how God works. And that is how we treat God. We arrive in the house of God where his name is supposed to be exalted, where his name is supposed to be magnified, where his name is supposed to be worshipped as we bow down and think about his throne that he is resting upon. But instead, we arrive in the house of God and say, you know what I'd like for you to do for me today, Lord? I'd like for you to do this. And I'll take a little bit of that. And if you could just bless my 401K and that president of mine. All these different things. This is how we." treat the house of God this is not a perfume store this is the place where we come down to when we come to we arrive here to worship God who is holy, sitting on the throne he is bolted to the floor no one has overthrown him no one has challenged him no one can defeat him no one will defeat him and he will not step down God is on this throne I wonder when people arrive here, do they realize that we are a church who says that Satan has no role in here? That we're a church that when we arrive in here, that we take the things that Satan does plague us with on the outside of these walls and we leave them on the outside of these walls. That in here, that in here, that we could be a group of believers who are so captivated by the glory of God. These 24 elders, like I said, who I believe are representatives of this New Testament church, <laughs> they cried out, holy, holy, holy. They cried out, worthy, worthy, worthy. This also uh, a preview of the, of the judgment and the power that will soon pour out upon the earth the force and the fury of the omnipotent God. But we understand that before a storm fully settles down upon the world, there will be rumblings and there will be thunderings and lightnings and shakings from heaven, from the throne of God. It goes on to say, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne of God, which are the seven spirits of God. Oh, I thought you said there was only one Holy Spirit. Indeed, there is only one Holy Spirit, third person in the Trinity. But understanding first here when he talks about this imagery of these seven lamps of fire burning before the throne of God, this is not the same terms. These are not the same words that we see in Revelations chapter one, where Jesus was walking amongst the seven lampstands, the seven representatives of the church. That is not the imagery you need here. Put that aside. These seven lamps of fire burning before the throne of God. Imagine torches burning bright, like in the time of the book of Judges, like Preparing for battle, like lights being so bright to lighten the way. This is the moment where the comforter that we talked about in John chapter 14 and verse 6, that when the Lord ascended into heaven, he sent down a comforter to us. This is the moment in time and in this time that's yet to come where the comforter that was sent down to bring comfort upon us, now becomes the consumer of sin. He's the one who now is to bring judgment. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2 kind of brings us to these seven spirits of the Holy Spirit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding and the spirit of counsel and might and the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2. The sevenfold spirit that we read about is important. Why? Because this day that's coming, on this day, every omission, every sin of commission, no false evidence will be submitted. There'll be no need for cross-examination. Every thought, every deed, every motive will be made known by the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16 and verse 8 says in regards to the Holy Spirit, and when he is come, what will he do? He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. It would be easier for a man in this time to reverse the world spinning upon its axis than it would be to reverse the judgment coming forth from the throne of God at this time. God's judgment has arrived upon the earth. Lastly, it says here, And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around about the throne there were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Can you imagine this? As John looks upon the throne, he sees this sea like unto glass. And in the midst of the throne throne, and round about the throne, four beasts. All right, that's enough. Full of eyes. That is creepy. (laughs) On the front side, but then it goes on to say, and behind. Uh, These were these four beasts. Notice firstly about this verse. I thought we said in Revelation. were cherubims. And it was upon them, stretched over them, that uh, according to Ezekiel, that was over them, stretched over them, upon them, that the throne of God rested with this crystal sea. And in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. We'll get more into this the next time, but... I want to read verse 7 to kind of give you the connection between Ezekiel, Exodus, and where we are today in Revelation chapter 4. In verse 7 it says, And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had the face as a man, and the fourth beast was a flying eagle. These beasts are angelic. These are the same ones seen around the throne, according to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 1, and verses 5 through 10, and out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance, that they had the likeness of a man, and everyone had four faces, and everyone had four wings, and their feet were straight, and the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like the color of burnished brass, and they had the hands of a man under their wings, and on their four sides. And they had four, and they four had the, their faces and their wings. And their wings were joined together, one to another, and they turned not when they went. They went every one straight forward. And as for the likeness of their faces, they, the four had a face of a man and the face of a lion, on the right side, and they had the face of uh, the and the four had the face of an ox. On the left side, and the four also had the face of an eagle. By the time you make it to Ezekiel chapter ten, in this vision that Ezekiel had, this confession is that these are the cherubims, the highest created intelligence.